Okay, everyone, today's episode was recorded at and brought to you by Raven Sound Studio in historic downtown Prescott, Arizona. Raven Sound Studio is a professionally equipped audio production facility offering recording, mixing, and mastering services throughout northern Arizona and surrounding areas. Whether you are looking to cut a demo, record your next single, or have a full album produced, Raven Sound Studio has the tools and skills you need to get the job done. For more information, head to www.ravensoundstudio.com to book a session or schedule a tour. Welcome to the Creative Convergence, an audible nexus of the creative arts. I'm your host, Candace Devine. Join me in conversation as we discuss the journey creatives take on their path to success. Hey everybody, welcome to the podcast. I am so excited for today's episode because we're going to be talking with one of my dearest friends and a collaborator, but also a brilliant pop artist and singer-songwriter. His name is Curtis Peoples. Curtis's first album, self-titled, was produced by Marshall Altman and featured songs co-written by Ryan Tedder, Tyler Hilton, and Vic Fuentes. He released his second album, The Fight, which was produced by Stephen Solomon and Busby, known for Pink, Marin Morris, Florida Georgia Line, and more, and featured songs co-written by Busby, Nathan Chapman, Marshall Altman, Vic Fuentes, and Stephen Solomon. To promote this album, he was featured on NBC's Last Call with Carson Daly and received four LA Music Critic nominations for the album The Fight, of which the song Afraid from the album won two. Afraid was also featured on MTV's Finding Carter. Curtis is also a songwriter for other artists. He co-wrote the gold-certified single King for a Day for Fearless Records act Pierce the Veil. The album debuted at number 10 on the Billboard charts in the summer of 2012. He worked on Third Eye Blind's new album, Dopamine, that was released summer of 2015 and debuted number 13 on Billboard. He also co-wrote the Pierce the Veil single Circles, which made top 40 at Alternative Rock Radio, and The Divine Zero from their new album Misadventures, which debuted number 4 on the Billboard charts May of 2016. The Divine Zero and Circles were nominated in back-to-back years for Best Song at the Alternative Press Awards, and the album Misadventures won Album of the Year. Curtis additionally also contributed to Third Eye Blind's EP, We Are Drugs, released October 2016, and he co-wrote the singles Atlantic and Forever Yours from Fearless Records band Grayscale, released in April of 2017. He also recently co-wrote and co-produced the Grayscale sophomore album, Nella Vida, that debuted number one on the Billboard's Heat Seekers charts in September of 2019. And recently, he worked on the new album Screamer by Third Eye Blind that was released in October of 2019. Curtis Peoples is also a member of the band Kids in America. The band's hit single, Summer of Love, was featured on Esquire, Billboard, SiriusXM, and regular old radio. If you'd like to learn more about Curtis Peoples, please check our show notes for links to his social media accounts and website. Hello, Curtis Peoples. Welcome to the podcast. Happy to be here. I'm so excited (laughs) to have you on. What's funny is that when we started this podcast, you were immediately in my brain as somebody that I wanted to have as a guest. And then you were mm-hmm. stupid busy like you always are. And so I kept waiting and waiting. I was like, okay, well, he's working on this project. Okay, I'll, I'll bug him in like in a couple of weeks. And then he was working on this project. And then I'll bug him in a couple of weeks. And then in the interim, <laughs> I put like a whole slew of people we know in common. I know. 
And then yeah. and then it became to the point where I'm like, Candace Divine, like you haven't had Curtis on yet. And it's super <laughs> crazy. And then you were just as busy as usual. And then I booked yeah. you and then you canceled on me. And now you are here now. <laughs> I, re, I rescheduled it for being technical. <laughs> so I'm so excited you're here. Um, let's yeah. start at the very, 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 very beginning. Okay. Okay, little what? Curdy P, tell me about where you were born, where you come from, who your family is, all of that good mm-hmm. jazz, like zero to six or seven. Okay. Uh, I was born in Los Angeles, but I was raised in San Diego. I didn't know I that. Would... See, this is yeah, yeah. It, a very I, yeah. first detail that I, I didn't up. know. My parents' first house was right by CBS Radford. Um, no way. So yeah, so I was I was one when we moved to San Diego, but there is kind of a joke uh, about like the the fact that I've come back to LA and been here for so long and feel not I mean I feel more at home here in a way, but I mean I love San Diego, but but um you know this was always has felt comfortable. Yeah, to me. you're and an I LA guy for sure. Yeah, I mean, my friends from San Diego call me Hollywood. Sometimes, yeah, <laughs> so, <you know. laughs> and I think every other person that you know that has moved away, myself included, we're all like, "Oh, come check out where we live." And you're like, "Yeah, I love you guys. I'll visit." Although, <clears throat> side note, you have not been to visit me lately, like you promised. But also, no, we're um, gonna work it out. But also, everybody's like, "Move to Nashville, move to New York, move to where," and you're like, "I'm good. Like, I I'm an LA guy." Yeah, I mean, if that ever changes. I, you know, I'm not afraid of moving, but like right now it's still great. Even in this crazy time, like I s- still love it here. You know, I still, I still feel energized here and I have a life here and I have a career here. So, yeah. you know, if that, if that changes, then we'll see, you know, cause I was, I'm surprised. I always thought I was going to move to Nashville. Um, especially like in my like late twenties when, when, our friend Slim Gamble moved there and Lady Nobellum was doing their thing and, and and writing out there was so fun. And I made all these connections. I really thought I was like, yeah, I might move there. And, uh, and then after a while I realized in the same way I felt about New York, I love these places, but I don't need to live here to enjoy them. I can just come out for long stretches of time, do the thing, get it out of my system and come back, come back to LA. Okay. Well, I'm glad we got that cleared up. You're not moving anytime soon, but let's get back to your childhood. So it was in San Diego. Grew up in San Diego. Um, um, with, you know, played sports as a kid was super into making movies and, and really creative, loved writing stories and all that kind of thing. Um, um, my parents have always been incredibly, you know, you know them, but uh, so well, but you know, they were always really supportive of every version. Tell our life. audience your parents' names, your brother's name. Oh yeah, oh we're doing that kind of. Thing. Oh yeah, we're going um, deep, man. My my <laughs> younger brother Scott Scott is, uh, you know, um, he's my only sibling, and he uh, is now a father of two, and he's a um, he was in the army. Um, he's done, he went to, you know, he went to college and did everything. He's essentially did all the heavy lifting. So I didn't have to do all, <laughs> all the normal stuff. And my parents are Dan and Peggy are from the Midwest. The and peoples. We're the, the peoples. We're the only on every, on both sides of the family. We're the only people on the West coast. There's nobody else oh, wow. um, at all. Everyone's Midwest and South and East coast. So we were always, and we were always that way. We were always kind of on our own kind of tip. Um, I mean, San Diego is like one of the best cities in the world to grow up in. We, you know, it's like, I, uh, I, I loved my, my brother and I loved sports so much, but we were always into movies and music. And I probably got obsessed with music when I, I was about 10 or 11. That's when I 
you know, the BMG Music Club was a thing. And I used to get all the, you know, Columbia, you know, What was CD the thing that started it? What was the song or the group or what was the moment that you went, oh, that is self-living cool? It's funny because, like, I always loved performing, but I never did theater when I was a kid. But I loved singing. So, like, I, I always, I always say, there's this, there's this book I had to make in first grade, and what do you want to do when you grow up? And it was, I put a singer, and then a couple of years later, I went back and edited it like, for God knows what reason, and drew and drew the singer into a baseball player, <laughs> and it's like so strange. But uh, but I always loved singing. I just loved always making movies, and like we would make all these karate movies, and like they had like these you know like really detailed storylines and 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 i would write short stories and and i i became a thing where i'd read them at school like it was like every semester third grade it started in third grade because one of my teachers was really like encouraging but it became a thing i included the entire class in this like elaborate like adventure story and then i did it a few years past that because it kind of became a thing so i mean that's that was always part of what i did but the music thing kind of came back around when I got into like Pearl Jam and Nirvana. That was, you know, I know I have Beatles tattoo, yeah. <laughs> but it was Pearl Jam and Nirvana. That was the first things that were like my own. And like, and so that's where I kind of started to get obsessed. And that's, and that, and the, my dad and I would go to like record stores and buy all these like imports and bootlegs and, and, and of Pearl Jam and Nirvana. And I, and that's where I was starting to music. And then I got into the Beatles I, the first Beatles record I actually ever had was the anthology, the second one. Right. Like it wasn't even like an album. And Me I just love that. Anthologies yeah. were my, that was the like, yeah. oh, here's your introduction into, you know, right. greatest hits basically. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so that's where it started. And then we started and then on during PE one day when I was 12, my, uh, my friend Carl and my friend Gonzalo and I started like making up like a, a, a rap song about chickens. And it was like, <laughs> ended up being like, 10 minutes long we and we and we just kept doing it so we memorized it. <laughs> you're like it the like, sugar hill gang of chickens <laughs> so lame. but it, but it's that was the moment and then yeah. it, we had so much fun doing that that we, we were like you know we started doing it we started making more of those and then we like carl wanted to play the drums and gonzalo already knew how to play guitar and i wanted to do music and sing and i ended up being the bass player and we would get together in our parents' garages and 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 play and jam and, and we had and, and we made t- two tapes we were called chicken jam and we had made two tapes as chicken jam and then we realized we wanted to take ourselves more seriously so we came up with this band named three simple words which is the band that vic ended up joining vic uh, brought that up on his podcast yeah. actually with danielle yeah. he was like yeah. well, technically my friend and then he was like i think he blamed you he's like curtis was like you need to play all these licks and he was like ah. <laughs> it's actually insane because Vic joined when he was we were freshmen in high school I think when he joined or maybe we were yeah we were freshmen um when, and I just wanted him in the band because he was one of our closest friends we had another guitar player at the time but he was one of our closest friends and he kind of could play guitar I, I there's a very blurry memory where it's like he's kind of plays guitar and then he's like insanely good and it right. feels like it's like really fast yeah and I think it was but you know because then he ended up being our only guitar player we get our other we our other guitar player left and then it was me and vic and carl until we How added our were friend you to play as bass. a bass player i was good i mean the funny thing is i've never like, seen you bass... play bass i've known you a long time i've never seen this oh really you didn't there was a there was a period when i toured as curtis peoples i think on my self-titled record where i did a few tours where 
I, drummer and guitar player and I played bass because it was just more affordable. You never that. saw that. No. Yeah, yeah. And then it's come back around. Like I played when I first moved to LA and Tyler Hilton and had, you know, he was starting to promote a single. He didn't have a band because he had been a solo artist forever. So I actually played bass in Tyler's When It Comes music video. And I played a couple radio festivals with him on bass. And I just didn't want to do it because I didn't want to be his, you know, I didn't want to be a sideman. I was only 21 and yeah. I was like, you know, things were happening. So I was like, I was like, I love this and I appreciate this, but I don't want to do this. This isn't this what isn't I want to do. I want to play. This right? isn't the role I want to play, especially, you know, this early on. And then it came back around years later when I write a lot, I write on bass now. Um, when I write all the Pierce of stuff with Vic, I mostly write bass. And then I just did a, um, one of those, um, driving gigs where i play yeah. bass. so you know it's like it's come back around so it's that is i actually so love yeah funny curtis yeah. peoples <laughs> yeah yeah i i'm always blown away about what i don't know about the people that i feel like i know very well oh, you yeah. know what i mean oh, yeah, of course yeah. um and that's one of the most fun parts about sitting down with somebody you do know in an hour setting of like tell me about yourself and i'm like oh shit i'm way behind <laughs> Yeah. Um, okay, so you're in a band with Vic, and you're playing mm -hmm. bass, and mm -hmm. you're in freshman year of high school. Are you mm -hmm. guys trying at this point? Had you? Because here's another thing that people should know about you. Anybody mm -hmm. listening, Curtis Peoples has this incredible brain, not only for writing and creativity and music, but for the business of music. Mm -hmm. Were you already learning those things then? Like, were you the person sniffing out, like, how do you shop a deal or how do you blah, blah, blah? Because I feel like you would be that person. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, our friend, you you know, Joe Moore, yeah. he went to high school with us and he was our first manager. And he, and he also recorded our first official album in my parents' house. We, for some reason, recorded 12 songs in one day. <laughs> and we took over my parents downstairs and, and had, and had real, real recording gear into the whole thing. Um, and then he was our manager, but no, I mean, I would sell our CDs at school and our, like, I, I would like, I was, I, I, I like had my backpack full of CDs and I was like selling CDs at school. I was always like working on the art. I was always trying to get its gigs. You I were always, straight like, up like one of our records, which mixtape style in San oh, yeah. Diego, yeah. like white kid school, yeah. I'm assuming. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and then I'd book our book our yeah at Catholic school. Yeah, <laughs> um, and and I I would book all our gigs, and you know I took it so much more serious, and and not that Vic and Carl and everyone didn't love it, but I I was less responsible about the rest of my life once I got once I knew I wanted to do music. Like Vic and Carl, Carl ended up being an orthopedic surgeon, and Vic actually went to college and almost graduated until Pierce Veil started really touring. But um, I was, as soon as I wanted to do music, you can just see my grades just go down and then down and then down and then down because I, I just didn't care anymore. And that's not what I wanted. Um, so yeah, no, I mean, I appreciate you saying that. But yeah, that was, that was it. I was, I, I was obsessed with it and I took it really seriously. And I really did love the hustle and the business side uh, of it. And that, you know, that, that never really went away. How um, did that and then when, work in your family plan in your family lifestyle of your parents like you have like you said you had the brother that paved the way that did all the things that were yeah. quote unquote but the, he was the right after me though no I, yes but after, yeah right, right. but they got the you kid know? they got the kid that was like right. oh thank god he checked all the boxes <laughs> like right. yeah. but I mean, how did it work in yeah. your i don't look at you again on a personal tip i don't look at you as like a confrontational person mm -hmm. but i am always shocked mm -hmm. at how well 
you don't back down. Like from what you, you know what I mean? Because you're so such a, um, I don't want to say a peacekeeper, but you're such a good moderator for, for just like keeping the peace as you move forward in decisions. But just Mm -hmm. when I think like, Oh, someone could steamroll Curtis. I don't know why, but you know what I mean? Like if in a precarious, like I will, or I won't, or I want to, or I don't want to, you never Mm -hmm. back down. Like you are always very (laughs) steadfast and like, Stubborn in ways that I would never expect, mm-hmm. but with such a polite attitude and a smile. Very stubborn. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. Uh, I, it's, that's, I mean, you, you know that. It's very, very true. I, 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 I mean, just like most of us have in this world, like I always know, as soon as I knew I wanted to do that, I never was going to back away from it. And now this many years later, I really, I can look back and see that it was true because, you know, there hasn't been all the successes I've wanted when I've wanted them or, or nothing has ever been truly bad or like truly like falling apart in my career. But a lot of things have not worked out when they were supposed to, or the way I wanted. And I never broke stride. I never, you know, and that was true when I was younger too. Like I just, my, I, my dad always said like, he's like, at some point when you, when we knew you wanted to do this, we had two choices. We either, could support you and get on board or you're going to do it anyway. And we wouldn't be there for you. And you, you know, and, and we would regret, and we'd regret that. He's like, he's like, there was no world where I'd be like, go to college or, you know, blah, blah, blah. My dad was ultimatum. Yeah. No, I went to community college just right after high school, just to, cause I was trying to figure out what to do. And I wanted to move to LA right away, but the rest of the band didn't want to do it. And plus Carl then left the band to go to college. So we were trying to find, like trying to keep the band together right. while Vicks pierced the veil in their early, called early times and their early version was starting to g- gain traction in San Diego, which is a big punk rock scene. So like our band was in a very weird spot. So let me but ask my you. My dad just... was the one who told me to quit community college. Oh, he's like, really? He's like, he's like, this is not costing that much money, but you are fail you failed music class clearly you don't want to be here you know <laughs> like i love done. your mom and dad um i was gonna say yeah. how because i have spoken with vic and there we have talked about you know the, where pierce mm-hmm. the and in his life story how that kind of unfolded as mm-hmm. two people who had been besties since you were kids and mm-hmm. had this kind of shared vision and then he's in a which a lot of us do we're in multiple projects all the time because we keep the balls rolling and the plates spinning in the air and we something's gonna land and you know so we all kind of keep our fingers in a lot of pots and you're in this place yeah. where his is starting to take this trajectory at mm-hmm. that exact moment obviously friendship comes first and obviously you kind of have an unspoken brotherhood and there's like this want for mm-hmm. each other to be successful. But what was your picking up point at that exact crossroad, watching a friend that you, you had now had two friends, right? Cause Carlos was off right. to college. Vic's right. now, and, and you're like, ah, how did you handle that? And what did you do with that? And what did that feel like at the time? Yeah, that's a great question, actually. Um, it was, well, even before they got signed, I was, Vic, was too loyal and also did like love writing songs with me, but he was too loyal to kind of leave the band, even though his passion was clearly not on our band. It was on his thing, you know, and I, and same thing when Carl was there by the end of high school and, 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 and we had a drummer come in, a guy named Mike Rollick, who was a couple of years older than us, New York guy, such a hard worker, so type A, like but like really taught us how to hustle 
but his energy was also a lot. But I connected with him because he really wanted the band to work, you know. Um, but with Vic, it was tough. And, I, you know, it was crazy because when they got signed, Vic didn't tell me about it for like a week. Um, really? and I And I found the contract on his parents' like pool table. And it was a really hard thing. I wasn't really mad at him because I knew he was just straight up scared to tell me because right. he was worried it was going to just crush me. Yeah. Um, and in a way it did. Uh, but also I, it had been such a slow move to that, you know, with the last year plus after high school, because high school, after high school, the band, when Carl left, we just, we, we, we struggled to ever kind of find a, a cool footing again we, we played shows we put out music we just we just we're kind of stuck but you know but i was i wanted it so bad i was willing to kind of drag everyone along or accept whatever smaller version they were willing to contribute but then when Vic did sign i was like okay band's done you know and then i started playing acoustic shows at, at, in san diego at that place twigs cafe and mm-hmm. stats and all those spots and you know this is when john mayer is breaking this is yeah. when when um jason mraz yes, yeah. is, out of, is out of san diego so and i'm a i'm a I, you know i pretty much switched over to acoustic guitar for the last few years at this point i'm a white guy playing acoustic guitar i have the right voice and the right look for yeah, all this thing so i just singer, songwriter. Kind of shows yeah oh yeah yeah which really wasn't who it's still this day wasn't musically who i really feel like i am i'm more of a rock pop guy. I was just going to say that's such an interesting section of your life that I do want to talk about because that's right mm -hmm. around when I probably Mm -hmm. maybe a year or two after that when I kind of when we've crossed paths and became friends. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. But it's interesting because to know you is to know that your heart is in Mm -hmm. rock and roll pop rock and roll like I mean rock and roll but not like metal per se but you know but like anthemic killing driving beats Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. pop rock and roll and yet right. at that exact time you were very much in the mix of this like singer songwriter talk yeah. about your emotions on your guitar hang right. out with your big curly hair and right. uh you know <laughs> get and be funny you know i mean that you're yeah. very much in that mix yeah and how did that how was that kind of a, and i and i only asked this question because myself it's like you don't want to think of yourself as an artist that's being dictated into what you should be doing because as mm-hmm. an artist, you want to create and those creations, you know, are your own voice. But at the same time, you're being influenced in the circumference of people that you're in. So you find yourself mm-hmm. writing and leaning into the category that you're in and and with the people you're collaborating with. Mm-hmm. Were you ever at that crossroad thinking like, this is all great and fine, but like, I just need to write my rock shit like where you know what i mean or or were you just living it i was just living it and also there was you know as i as like i moved to san diego probably within five months of the band breaking up six months maybe um and and i moved after i met tyler hilton he came down to san diego and we played a show together and tyler just signed a warner and he had just uh, signed to William Morris for acting, right. like, and he like had it together. Like, so wait, he had to look you together. moved to LA and then back to San Diego? No, I, okay. I right before I moved to LA, I was already planning on moving to LA, and all of a sudden I got put on the show with Tyler, and here was this guy my age, 
much further along and, and and put together as an artist than I felt like I was, or definitely was at the time. And so he was, not only did we become such close friends, but he also really inspired me. And then when I moved to LA, I went on tour with him as an open forum on his solo shows. And then he was on this big tour with Michelle Branch and Gavin DeGraw and Joe Firstman yeah. and, and Rooney. And, and I was Tyler's tech and, 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 assistant tour manager to his dad and but that's when i met a bunch of the people you know like slim like david and like darwin right that ended up being people that i knew that were my friends in la with and tyler and my first friends and put us in this community so like the timing that my band with vic broke up and then i met tyler everything was serendipitous and meant to be and so i just kind of flowed with it and then gavin mcgraw came out and he was pop rock but he yeah. was a singer songwriter. So I never really had a chance to question whether I should rebrand as a band or something like that because I was in motion. Plus I was, I was touring my space. Oh was yeah. Happening. I was doing really well. I was, I was getting opening slots. I, I got, then I got a small record deal right. and then Marshall Altman came along and I got a bigger record deal. And then like everything was just kind of in motion. So it wasn't a question. I would really feel it when I was on tour with other singer songwriters though, because I knew that people liked me, but I wasn't gaining fans the way that Tony Luca or Ernie Halter or Tyrone Wells were. Right. Uh, and because they were doing that sound truer. And uh, I was always a, kind of... Right. And I think that's what I was asking. You know, and it wasn't... Yeah. I think I, maybe I didn't phrase that well enough. But not based on accomplishment, because like you said, you... You absolutely have. I've watched your trajectory of always. Mm -hmm. I think I text you just even like two weeks ago. I'm like, you're still playing in the supermarket or wherever. You know, I mean, you. you, Uh, Target. Yeah. Yeah. Your voice was everywhere. Um, But I'm in on a personal level, which is where I think it's really interesting when you're like when I'm in the room with the people who came from this authentic singer songwriter place of like this was feeding their soul power. And then you're standing next to him going, I'm writing mm-hmm. these songs and I'm in this community, yet I want to rock a little harder. <laughs> um, right. Yeah. yeah. And I, I was always the one who brought, everyone else would go solo and I always brought musicians with me because I was trying, I wanted to make that sound. I had a, I wasn't, I, I didn't think the acoustic guitar was doing my songs justice. So I always at least had a guitar player or a piano player or a band or whatever. And I was never, you know, and I would have made money on a lot of those tours if I hadn't, you know, been taking a band with me, but I, but I, but I was looking five steps ahead. I wanted something bigger and I was willing to invest in it and make it happen. Um, I love you said that, though, because I think most people aren't aware of that. That's just a really fun aside to touch base on. When you see independent Mm -hmm. artists out playing and they're in a band or they're playing with a band and their name is typically the headline, the name on the marquee, and it's not Mm -hmm. a band name. I don't think most people are aware of the fact that that usually is being paid out of the artist's pocket to have those people be with them, play with them, travel with them, you know. And so when people are asking artists to play their venues, Oftentimes when the pay is like, hmm, hundred bucks for the night and part of the door or 300 for the night and nothing else or this and that. And I don't, I don't think the average person knows that that equation is oftentimes at the expense of the artist who is trying to put their artistic vision on a stage. (laughs) Like we're, we're all not, you know, raging in the dough at these points in our lives when we're just hustling to be out making music. No, no. And, and, and. And trying to do that, you know, and live in LA and everything like that, like, you know, it was, it was, it was, a, it was a tightrope walk at times. And, you know, I always, I've had the luck of, you know, it's like, 
of right before I, it, something would get impossible, like some money would come along or some opportunity would come along. And then, so like, I've always felt lucky in that sense, like to keep going, but yeah, it was one of those things. And, but I had so much fun. And the craziest thing is, is I, I started booking all our tours. That, that was how I kind of got myself because Tony Luca and Joe Firstman and all these Keaton Simons and Ernie Halter and all these guys, Tyrone Wells, they were all doing better and bigger than me at the time. Some were signed to record deals. Some of them had, you know, like Tony had had all his previous successes, et cetera. But I, I offered, I was like, I'll book the tours. I'll come up with the concepts for the tours. You know, it's like, I, I was really into the branding and the whole thing. And that was my, I'm like, I don't bring the same amount of fans, although I did have fans, you know, but like, I, but I can offer all these other things. And that's how I got on those tours and did build up a bigger fan base was just by, you know, wearing, wearing people down or offering some kind of, uh, you know, extra incentive for me being involved. So the point where I actually got hired by Ernie and Tony's manager for like six months or a year to book their tours while they were trying to find an agent, which I did for a minute until, and then I just, I was like, dude, I appreciate the money. I appreciate whatever. I said, this is so much work and I I need, I need to put that energy into your own, into your own. Yeah structure yeah. career. Yeah, you've always yeah. worn multiple hats so well in the in the yeah. time that I've known you. And it's so funny because when I get on these discussions of like traditional academic roads and college and things like that and for people who do go or don't go, when you look back at this point just knowing how much of a business brain you have, do you ever think like I mean this is kind of your MBA in business. It's been your journey yeah. in in a sense, yeah. like life on the yeah. road, you know. I, I think it's really, I think everything I've learned has helped me uh, in my career and, and, and like the things I've been interested in on the management side, like maybe I could have, I mean, I mean, I could have gotten a management years ago. It just, it's so tricky because, you know, I love the phrase uh, comes down to bandwidth, how much can you handle? And for me, you know, I just kept wondering, and it's also perception, you know, you, you know, it's like if I started managing bands and i was trying to break as an artist you know do people start to see me one way and not the other and then right. it's hard to convince either way so you know and then i, I it just it, it still might happen it's it's like it feels like it's inevitability that i would get into a and r or management at some point in my career but right now i've been able to utilize it for myself and my friends and, and the people i collaborate with and it's still advantageous and still oh yeah we so, all call you. So, I call you all the but, time. How do I do this? What yeah, is exactly. it? <laughs> right. How do, what, what am I doing? <laughs> like, I don't know what I'm doing. I just write songs. And you're like, don't worry, I'll send you an email. <laughs> well, that's kind of the yeah. No, well, that's the, kind of the greatest gift of, of, of the fact that I had that I have had help, but I always had to have. There was always an indie element to it. Whereas, like, even if I had a manager or a label, it was a small label, or it was you know, it was, or it was like a manager who only had a couple of artists, or I was the smallest artist, so I had to make sure I did a lot of the small stuff because they didn't have time to handle right. the small stuff for me. And I used to be really like, "What the fuck?" Like everyone yeah. else has all these like things, and I don't. And and then I realized years later how incredibly helpful that all ended up being for me. Where I I, I would have never. I wouldn't be who I was and I probably wouldn't even be as far along if I hadn't been forced to learn it all myself. And then you just get into it. Then you like the knowledge. I don't like not knowing now. I really do want to learn all those things. And sometimes it is a bummer because you just want to make music and do the artist part of it, but that's not real. That's not, that's not the world we live in. And even if you're a major artist, it's really helpful to kind of 
know understand your these things, yeah. know your business, you know? So like, so that's just kind of where it's all gone. When know? did you, cause I feel, and again, this is me inserting my outside perspective of your life into your life, but for you sure. to expound on and elaborate on and make very clear for me and everyone listening at mm-hmm. what point, because as artists, we, you know, the songwriting is always something that's important to us on a personal artist level. Mm-hmm. At what point in your career living in LA, surrounded by all these people, did you start to get that bug or or knowledge or interest or even idea that it was a good idea to be co-writing, expanding your catalog of artistry in different ways? When did you start mm-hmm. to transition? Because I think like when I think of you, I think of you as this person that wears all these hats really well. Yes, I think of mm-hmm. you as an artist, but I'm also like, I want to co-write with Curtis or Curtis could produce this thing or, mm-hmm. you know, work on. I mean, you definitely in the music business have covered the gamut of roles, but I've seen an evolution with you of from writing your own stuff to being this massive collaborator on so many projects. Yeah. When did that it, it, start to transition? The the main the main flip happened in 2014, but that was when I really shifted away from artists as the main thing and the, and the songwriting and collaborating as the main thing. But it did really start, it started with I'm trying to think like, I mean, it was kind of like, like when I moved to LA, I would write with Tyler, I would write with uh, Dave Aiden, I would write with all these people, you know, and, and at the time Dave was living with Ryan Tedder. So I, you know, and Ryan hadn't blown up and become Ryan Tedder yet or right. anything. And, but as he was, I, you know, him and I wrote a song for my album, like, I was getting, I was, I enjoyed that process and I was getting into it, you know, and I would try to write songs for Tyler's record. I always wrote songs with Vic for Pierce the Bill stuff, but it was all just done very organically and in-house. And then when I did the record with Marshall Altman, he ended up co, um, Marshall ended up co-writing most of it with me, you know, a couple songs I'd already brought in, but he ended up with writing credits on a lot of stuff I brought in because he would, reshape the chorus or change the verse and him and i just had this like locked in like creative thing and then i just loved that right like, i never really write songs b- by myself anymore you um, know it's funny you say that because i was thinking yeah. i actually set time aside this morning i like set my alarm and i'm like today's the day candace you're gonna put like two hours aside yeah. and sit down and get in your creative brain and just write a song and it's been yeah. so long since i have written yeah. individually because much like you, like I've fallen into sync and in love with the pattern of writing with other people, because I feel like mm-hmm. it taps into parts of your brain that maybe you don't go on your own or maybe you don't, mm-hmm. you know, have those same thoughts, you know. So um, mm-hmm. today was the first time I had done that in a long time. But much like you, it's like you kind of hit this stride where you go, there's this partnership thing that I'm equally in love with in the creative yeah. process. Yeah. I mean, it's, I just have more fun with it and I, and I write faster. And that was the thing is I just started, like, I also had access to people more so that I wanted to work with. So after the Marshall record and, and that was, that was probably when at my solo artist, I was at my highest sense of promise. Like I had, I had done a deal through Warner, uh, through an imprint through Warner with Marshall Allman, who's the established producer, Mark Broussard and like, you know, and like, uh, He'd worked with uh, Sarah Bareilles and all these people. I was with the right guy for the sound I was doing, yeah. and we made a record that that had you know that worked to a point, but we never got the the big things we were looking for. And then I also met um, this writer Busby through that, and Busby had yeah, and Busby hadn't 
had had started to have success, but he was still up and coming too. And 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 him and I finally wrote together. You know, um, when we wrote my song "Afraid," which is definitely like my was like was was the game changer on a lot of levels because Busby gave me the confidence to realize there was even another gear to my writing that I had that I was trying to find. But also, I I when I did that record after the Marshall Albert record, I called everybody. I worked with you know, Kevin Griffin, Ben and Ezra. I worked with Nathan Chapman, who produced the Toast records. Like I, I, I called everybody and then it was leverage on leverage. Yeah. All of a sudden I had a record, you know, I worked with my buddy, Steve Solomon, who ended up producing the fight record songs that Busby didn't produce. And, and pretty much Steve mixed the whole record and, and was kind of the main producer. And I worked with David Hodges and I worked like, I was A&Ring like, these guys that are major label yeah. writers uh, for my thing, trying to get a new deal. And we got so close to these big deals and, you know, you were around them and those big deals didn't happen. I was going to say, that's the other interesting thing about being not only you, me, everybody else in the last, I don't know, 10, 12, 15 years from being in our Mm -hmm. early twenties and through, you know, watching the music industry change around you Mm -hmm. with no say. (laughs) Like, right. I mean, yeah. you're in like a perpetual state of adapting because mm-hmm. the the way we all came up thinking how you gain these, you know, ideas of success and mm-hmm. the way you're supposed to pursue your craft and, and go through the back doors and find the relationships and do all the collaboration. And then by the time you get your head above water, and you're like, I have arrived. And then you're like, but the music industry is different now, you know, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, 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 and it's so tough too, because sometimes you don't know you're, you're, you're stuck in something until you're way past being stuck in it. And I think that's what happened during that time is like, I had done everything I possibly could and I'd done it right. And I, and like when not only like, not only afraid, but mainly afraid, I was like, I wrote a hit song. Yeah. That song is a a hit song. And, and I, and I knew it was a hit song. Everyone knew it was a hit song. Like, People that I loved in the industry that were always nice to me reacted in a way that I was like, you've always been nice to me, but this you. But now you actually care in a different way. Yeah. 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 You care in a different and way. You used to care because you were my friend and you were like, good job, Curtis. And now all of a sudden you care because you, you could put your fingers in it and help it Exactly. Move. <laughs> all right, everyone. Today's episode is brought to you by our wonderful public school system here in Prescott, Arizona. The Prescott Unified School District has been serving children for over 150 years. And while the community and district has grown and changed considerably since 1868, the commitment to children, families, and the community remains the same to this day. PUSD welcomes all students, including those who live outside the district boundaries, because at Prescott Unified School District, every child, every day, Everywhere matters. Proceeds from your membership and our advertisers with Raven Productions goes directly to supporting the arts programs in the PUSD. And 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 a lot of great stuff came out of it. But when we didn't get the big major label record deal, then Busby had to move on. And also then his career started to take off. He had this pink song, Try, and everything like that. And he was always supportive of... of when we did it independently, like he didn't get in the way. He, you yeah. know, he, he, he didn't, he didn't, he waived his producing fee at top. He's like, I'll just get paid on the back end. Like he made, a, like he was great, but he had to move on. 
And, but it was a gut punch for me because I truly felt like I had done everything humanly possible. And I, and I was all of a sudden, you know, and I stopped touring to try and get this deal and write all these songs. So my touring fan base started to dwindle because, and especially in the singer songwriter scene, you got to be out there. Yeah. If you're not showing up, then your fans stop showing up. Yeah. Yeah. And then it, I, and then it was four years. It ended up being five years between albums. I did put out a couple things in between, but five years, it was a complete disaster. Um, Let me, let's, can we talk about that time period for a minute? Just because I think that's such a relatable thing. And I think it's such a human thing, whether you're music industry or not, there are these moments. (laughs) What were you doing in your mind at that time? Like you said, everything had hit this pinnacle. It had gotten to the place where I, you had laid the groundwork just right. And it just mm-hmm. didn't happen because that way, mm-hmm. the way your brain mm-hmm. thought, it lined you mm-hmm. up, as we'll get into, into all these other things that have evolved. But sure. in, in <laughs> that moment, it didn't happen the way you had anticipated it would play out. What do you do then? As Because let's be honest, as artists, we all have that side to us that's a little fragile. Like we we mm-hmm. have that side that is a little bit like... We none of us want to fail there. It's one thing to to dust yourself off and pick yourself up. But like none of us want to feel like all the work did nothing. What in that mm-hmm. four year span, you were putting out a couple of things, but you had stopped touring. Where was your mindset at? Did you ever question like, can I write another song like Afraid? Can I where or were you? Are you just the person that puts your nose to the grindstone and just says, I just keep on trucking and I'll deal with it emotionally later? I was pretty, I was pretty scared. And also I was working at, you know, I was working at the bakery at the coffee shop bakery, you know, and then when I stopped touring and then I didn't get my record deal, I felt like I was like li- literally just working at a bakery a coffee shop. I wasn't me anymore. You know, um, it was really scary. And I, I didn't wonder if I would write any more good songs. I just didn't know what else I could do as a, as a solo artist, right. you know? Um, but I also was at a time in my life, you know, when, you know, uh, where I was personally in a great relationship and really happy and wanted and, and, you know, and, and, and the, uh, the fr- song afraid helped me like realize I did want to get married. So like, I, 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 I ended up just doubling down on my personal life because I realized I was really lucky already. It, things just hadn't worked out career wise the way I wanted, but they had personally. So like I found a peace about the whole thing at that point, you know, I was sad, but I didn't feel like, I, I was sad for the missed opportunities with my artist career, but I didn't feel like it, it had been a waste. I, and I felt right. like I had done everything I could, but I just felt, didn't know what else to do at the time. And I felt kind of stuck and, and, but I was happy, you know, in my other parts of life. So I just, I honestly just had like a Zen about it. And I really believe that's what led me to the next phase of my career because I didn't push so damn hard for it to happen anymore. Right. I worked hard. I woke up every day, even when I like was like, my personal life's great. I still woke up every day thinking about music and, and trying to make things happen. But what the best thing that happened professionally during that run is that working with all these big writers, working with all these big producers, I was going to writing, producing school and I didn't even know it. And all that knowledge and experience I gained when my career shifted into songwriting all was perfectly used to my abilities and I learned so much from all these great people but and the craziest part is is that my you know right when I I just I just I, I thought I wasn't going to get this tour with this band Voice Avenue at the two days before the tour oh, started I got right. it, it was a, 
And it was a national tour and it did Canada and it was playing like Wiltern. That's right. Like 5,000, 3,000 to 5,000 cap venues, a lot of places. It was insane. It was awesome. And right when I was like, you know what? I'm screwed as an artist. I got that tour. <laughs> Ended up being the last, being the last full tour I ever even did. So, yeah. I mean, I've played shows since then, but I never actually toured again. But also during that tour, the Pierce the Veil song, King for a Day, that I'd written with Vic and Steve and, and the band, had just quietly kept selling. Growing. And selling yeah. and growing and growing. And during that Voice Avenue tour, again, I had thought I'd hit, like, I thought I was just running out of road and I was starting to look at life. I was like, maybe I'll be, you know, it's like, you know, um, maybe in my, you know, Tara, my ex-wife was on a TV show and doing really well. I was like, maybe I'll just support her career and help her career and I'll still do music. But, you know, I started having all these thoughts and then I got the tour and that was very validating and exciting. And then during the tour, the Pierce Shell song went gold and I got a gold record. The day I, I got home from the tour, the day of the LA show at the Wiltern and my gold record came in the mail. Oh my gosh. And, and then, and then three weeks later, Brad, the drummer from third eye blind, Brad Hargreaves called me and asked me if I wanted to work with third eye blind Yeah, to help them write, finish their record. That all happened within a month or so. And that sent my career into it, into the next phase. That was actually one of my favorite text threads with you over the many years is I think there was one time when I was either hitting you up to write or come visit mm -hmm. or something. I don't mm -hmm. know. We were doing something in L.A. together. I don't remember. Right. And you were like, oh, yeah, right. I'd love to. I'm being flown to Costa Rica to write with Thread for a week. I'm going to be on a yeah. villa on the beach uh, making money every day, writing hit songs and uh, enjoy your time in L.A. without me. <laughs> but you yeah. said it much nicer than that because you're a nicer person but um yeah you're all yes yes i am <laughs> nah. i at this point i just feel lucky i yeah. feel like i have like a forrest gump career and and it just <laughs> keeps going that way you know it's yeah. just like it might my, my, i i just keep evolving with whatever changes and i'm not precious about it i i i so badly want all these things to work to work out but i i i, I think i'd already I think when I came to that point when I didn't get the record deal and then I decided it didn't matter, I still have a great life. I think everything post then that I've dealt with professionally or personally that has been difficult for me has been easier just based on the fact that I know that just keep going, you know, and, 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 and you're that coming is, from a place of gratitude, which is not that you, not that I ever knew you to oh, not, but I feel like a conscious gratitude right. sets the tone of how you interact with your day versus an right. unconscious gratitude of where you're like, yeah, life's fine. I mean, it's good. I'm happy to be alive, you know, versus it, coming to peace. Like you said, like coming to this. Place yeah. Well, it's of, tough when you're a driven person. Artists are driven. We're driven people. Yeah. So we're never satisfied, you know, but the trick is it's a very dangerous thing to never be satisfied to the point of wins pass you by and you didn't, and you didn't celebrate them. Yeah. You know, even now I have to catch myself when something happens and I go, Oh, that's cool. And, and, and somebody goes, aren't you excited? That's huge. I said, no, I am. I just, I think I'm like processing it. And also like, I, I, you're right. This is awesome. Yeah. Don't think about the next five things you're trying to get done. Like, yeah. Enjoy this one. Like, I, I'm still, I still struggle. I, I still struggle with it. You know, yeah. as, as we all kind of do. So, but, but it's like, that's, I don't know. I just, I never stopped believing something was supposed to work out. I just believed that you can't have this much fire to want to do something. And and know you're good at it and have something not work out. Right. It's just at some point you have to be willing to allow what that vision was to change, you know? And, you know, it's like, 
me being a writer and a producer and a collaborator is just as cool as if I was a big artist. It's just different, you know, like that, you know, my friend, all our friends that are big artists, you see the upsides and downsides, obviously being able to headline your own show in front of 5,000 people is probably the best feeling ever. But at the same time, there's parts of life that you miss out on because of that, that I've got, you know, that I've gotten to do and, and you have gotten to do based off these, you know, changes and ups and downs in our careers and everything like that. And and then right when you think you've gone as far as you can in a way, something always, a, a different door always opens. And then it's just a willingness to go through it and not be like, no, it has to happen this way. You, you have to go, no, you want it that way, but that you know that this is not how success works. Right. Like none of our friends that are successful, nobody I know that's successful is doing it the way they thought they were going. And I want to get into that because we, I, I bring up the, the word and I always put it in quotes success a lot. Um, but before we do, I want to share something because in my brain, it's always been locked into my Grammy acceptance speech, but we don't know mm-hmm. when that's going to happen. So I'm going to go ahead and just put it out <laughs> right. here in this forum so that people who are listening uh, know this because it's important to me about you. Another thing that Curtis is great at, along with the many things we've listed already, is that he's a great um, purveyor of bringing great people together. And you are very good at at reminding others of their worth. You do that very mm-hmm. well, even probably Thank when you. you don't realize you do it as well, you know, that you should be doing it for yourself, too. Um, <laughs> I had much very similarly had hit gone many different, you know, roads upward and mm-hmm. then uh, found out I was pregnant and moving and all these things in one swift swoop. And I left mm-hmm. California and I was now in Arizona and I think about two years had gone by and mm-hmm. uh, you called me and I don't remember what day or what time it was mid morning sometime. And I was like, ah, oh, Curdy P, what's the news, man? And you're like, so it's been a couple years. You gonna sing again anytime soon? <laughs> and I, much like you, had hit this point where you do that step back, you zoom out on your own life, and I'm like, what is my future now? I have opened mm-hmm. for thirty thousand people. I have traveled the world doing these things that most people don't always get to do in different capacities. And now I'm sitting in the middle of a ranch somewhere in Arizona with a baby not right. knowing what the hell my life looks like and what right. that means and how, and mm-hmm. same thing, you have a fire, it's burning. Mm-hmm. The passion is there. Mm-hmm. You wake up every day. It's all you can think about, but yet the life yep. you're living in front of you is different than the one your brain decided was supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And you were the reason that said, uh, you said, Candace, I'm bringing a bunch of friends together. We're just doing a fun night. We're doing rock and roll at the hotel cafe. Right. 80s and 90s right. covers. 80s and, and 90s. Yeah, 80s and 90s covers, just guilty pleasure style. You were like, we're just right. going to be rad. And I think you also said, you know, I don't know if you know this, but there are still people that would like to hear you sing. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, well, what does that mean? <laughs> and you were like, can you get your butt to LA and sing some Journey or Aerosmith or something? Yeah. And you were single-handedly the reason I did not quit singing because I was at a point where I'm, Oh God, other people cry on the show. I've never cried, but my eyes are getting a little watery. I was at a point where, um, I kind of hit a low because life looked different than I thought it would. And you were the voice of reason that we're like, I know you well enough to know that you are not going to go sit in the middle of nowhere forever and not sing notes out loud, very loud to people. Yeah. And yeah. Um, you yeah. got me to come back to L.A. and sing something. I think it was Journey. 
And you sang Journey and I think Aerosmith. I think you did both. Yeah, I think you might be right. And I think um, you did too. and immediately, immediately, I stepped foot in that venue, Hotel Cafe, which we're all trying to keep open at this point, and stepped foot on that mm-hmm. stage with you, and we rocked. And my life immediately mm-hmm. did a U-turn trajectory and became so much yeah. clearer in a new way because of you. So thank you very much. Because no, I'm honored. That means so much. To, you know, I, I, uh, I, it's funny. I didn't overthink that moment. I just, I don't know. I, I mean, it means, I mean, it means so much to, that you say that and that you rec- that you, you know, like all, all I was doing was trying to selfishly put a fun night together <laughs> put, put a fun night together and get to hear you sing again and, and 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 i had hit a point in my career where i wasn't getting to play shows as much so that was something that my manager uh, and i came up with and we you know you did the first one we didn't think it was going to be a thing it turned but, into like, a thing i just i just knew that i just knew that there was no and i and because i was also coming from a, a similar place where i was like you don't have to be done. You can't be done. You're, you know, yeah. and, and it's funny when you tell that story because it's like, and it means so much. Uh, uh, it's like so, means so much to you because it's so normal now. I forgot that was even a thing, right? You know, like you are so on, on fire and in motion yeah. so much, and it, but it's all normal. I mean, that was four-ish years ago at this point, you know? Yeah. But I think it's, I think it was, for me, it was an important story to tell just because it relates so much to something you said earlier, which is Mm -hmm. you make these relationships and you do all these things and you wear all these hats and you get out there. And at the heart of all of that, you're doing all, with all this passion, you're doing everything you can Mm -hmm. and life still can slap you in the face. And then it comes back to like, okay, well, I'll find other things to focus on. But when you wake up in the morning, your brain may go, oh, I love my partner. Okay, roll over, kiss mm-hmm. in the morning. And then immediately you're transcended back into this place of what can I do today to do the thing I love? And mm-hmm. sometimes as those people, it takes uh, other people, like you mentioned about Busby, giving you a, a small slice of confidence that maybe was in there at one point, but or maybe it just hadn't, ever been stoked like a fire, you know, in a way yourself. And then someone Mm -hmm. outside of you puts a nice little mirror up and is like, you can do this. You, this is who you are and this is who you've always been. And so I guess I brought it up because you, in your story, you've had those people that did that for you, but it is also important to know that you've done that for many others. Um, and I think that's how we all keep motivating each other and growing in the arts. A lot we talk about on this podcast is the shivets and and shifts, you know, shivets, yeah. the pivots and shifts. Um, <laughs> the, 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 yeah. The <laughs> yeah, that's my half breed Jewish. <laughs> ah, the shivets and piffs. <laughs> we don't even know. Um, but it's so, yeah. it's so true. It's pivots and shifts that take this journey that we think we're, sub- we all see the zero to a hundred. We all see the mm-hmm. Beyonce's and the Rihanna's. And, mm-hmm. the, and then I don't think we realize how many thousands of people are working behind the scenes of those select few for hit songs and even mm-hmm. in doing so affecting mm-hmm. just as many people in their own artistry, you know, mm-hmm. um, by yeah. continually putting those voices out there. What has yeah. been at this point, one of your favorite songs you've written? Um, Afraid still the one is still my favorite because 
it was the most connected between incredibly personal and incredibly commercial. And, and it was, and it was, and it's, it just rode that line so well. And what it did for me, regardless of it not becoming a hit song, it was a hit song for me. It did a lot. It, it, it changed a lot of things. Um, other than that, there's, it's like every couple of years, my song damage control always meant a lot to me, you know, cause I came from something, my 590p, which was about my divorce that, that there's a song called last time my favorite band broke up. That means a lot to me because I had an idea and, you know, uh, lyrically about what it felt like going through divorce and felt like when your band broke up and how people reacted and that was written and felt really great. And then now, you know, the, the kids in America song, which I know we're probably about to get into yeah. that, but my, my band kids in America, the song summer love is one of my favorites just because so good. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thanks. I, but it was also a thing where I was like, this is so this is so something I've never written before. And again, like afraid it got a reaction that I've never gotten before. Hang on. I'm going to turn off the cat feeder. Oh, that's staying in the podcast. Oh, that's, that's, (laughs) um, but so, so I still say it's, I still say it's afraid because that, that was like an otherworldly experience that I remember the entire night of, and then everything after, um, that came with it. But, but I just feel lucky when I start to look and, and like some of the songs I've written with other artists, like Circles with Pierce the Veil that I wrote, the song Forever Yours I wrote with Grayscale. There's a song by this amazing artist, Jake Wesley Rogers, I wrote called Jacob from the Bible, which is not about religion, but is about dealing with, uh, you know, he's, he, you know, he's a, um, he's a LGBTQ artist and he, it's a story of him like growing up in a religious household and and having a great relationship with his mom but a complicated one and a great relationship with his first boy the the lyric is very nuanced and it's and it's like this gospel song so like i feel lucky that these like now when i look back at what my favorite songs i've written there is no sound to them right i'm i'm the i'm the i'm the thing that's and that's consistent but there's no sound to them and that is what i love about writing and where my career is at now is that i I feel very limitless in the styles and everything. Cause I always say I'm a song guy. Like all right. I care about is the song of the hook. That's what right. I care about. So what I, you know, and, and now I just truly love the sandboxes I get to play. And like when we wrote save my soul for you, oh, like that's so the place fun. I get, that's a place I don't, I'm not in all the time. Right. So it was like really fun to write that, you know, and I'm such a pop music junkie that like, I'm always, just like oh i would love to write a song in the style of this thing and oh this artist is kind of like that let's do that you know yeah. so I, I so but yeah i mean i don't know i just i just the weirder the road gets the better it gets you know I it's like totally us, agree. Uh, it's like what if you're talking about the 80s and 90s gig like i'm sure some people know that are listening but not everyone does like how that is now formed into us you and i having this like cover band but it's like <laughs> side but it's project not like a fun. side but it's a side <laughs> project it's just it's a it's 80s and 90s covers but it's but it's something more and it's built around real musicality and the bands are great and the people we bring in to collaborate on the gigs is so are so great like and the fact that all that stuff is happening at the same time as you know i'm you know like i'm a songwriter for other artists and now i've got kids in america which is like a alternative indie pop thing and then i've got this band 
Pep Squad, which is like a hard rock so rad. thing. And then I got Riverside, which is like a, a girlfriend alternative kind of like fanagram case. Like, like I'm happy that my days are filled working with people that I love on all these different projects. There's well, no it's boredom. It's so funny because you've always been somebody that wears lots of hats, which I've said a number of times today. But right. in this chapter, you're wearing lots of hats musically in in your finger, you know, putting your fingers in a lot of pots for all, right. like you said, there's no singular sound. It's, it's kind right. of a, a really beautiful, selfish way to express so many parts of yourself differently mm-hmm. by mm-hmm. taking on so many projects, whether you're in them as the front man, whether you're in them as a writer, whether you're in them, mm-hmm. you know, helping somebody else yeah. be the front person. Do you miss the stage though, is my question. Do you miss the front man position on stage? I, I, I always say I don't miss I don't miss shows playing. I miss playing good shows. Yeah. So like, you know, I miss, I miss big tours. I miss, I miss playing in front of lots of people, Yes. but I don't miss playing in small little acoustic venues to 10 people. I don't miss it. You know, it it actually made at some point made me unhappy, you know, and not like I thought it was better than it. I just wasn't getting anything out of it anymore. Um, I do hope that with art, with my favorite mixtape with kids in America with, and it's perhaps about any of the stuff that I get to play shows again. Um, um, and I believe I will, but, but it, it, it's not what drives what I'm doing. Yeah. If someone comes along and goes, Hey, you're going to go open for this band. I'll be there in a heartbeat. And thankfully I've done it so long. You know, it's like you, we, you know, we get that muscle back pretty quick and, yeah. you know, we know how to get into that thing. But I mean, I do and I don't. I guess I guess the answer is I, I miss playing like our, our arena rock nights because those were packed houses and, and high energy and fun. Yeah, so always, if you give me that, if yeah. you give me that all the time, I would do that yeah. till the end of time. And again, that thing just grew. And what Curtis is referencing is the night of 80s and 90s covers. We called it Coffee Shop Arena Rock. Um, right. And it was one of those things that just grew where artists would come through, sit in. And it was a sense of community, which was really cool. It grew beyond whatever yeah. this music was. It turned into a, a hang that was oh, such a hang. Like the state, the energy on stage is what, you know, not only were the performances great, but the energy on stage was something you wanted to be a part of. And yeah. I could see that on stage and I could see that the fans. And also we, we've ended up with these incredible memories from that. You know, like we've had amazing people come on stage. Not only have we got personally got to do amazing yeah. performances, but there's been some pretty I know. <laughs> incredible people that have come pretty out and do those shows with us. Yeah. And, it, and it, you know, when we ever, when we get it going again or whatever version that we end up doing down the line, like that'll happen again. But like that, I mean, the fact that we pulled out for four years, you know, every three months for four years I know, is insane. And just so, and, and, and honestly, it's like, and that, that gig was a perfect example of, what I was happy about with myself on that was like playing the cards you're dealt, dealing with the world that you have. Like, this is my version of my career. I've made all these great friends. I've made all, I've, I've collected all these incredibly talented people along the way, and I'm going to completely uh, exploit them and bring them <laughs> out and show everyone how amazing they are. And because like, just like, and I, I mean, you are, especially with that gig, you are those centerpiece of that because I, I i i am i am happy that i got to be a part of bringing you out of yeah. out of that and bring you back fully to this place like i am that is a great honor uh, that, uh, that i feel but on top of that you know like we've been able to create this like 
another layer of our friendship and our and a partnership and the whole thing. But then all the other people that I'm just like, you're amazing, and I need you to do this song because you'll crush it. And then they do, and you know, and like you know, that that feeling is so great. Producing those shows and and having those friendships and showing off just the incredible orbit of people that we have we found and ourselves also, in. Was- I think it was a really great showcase for um what genuine, you know, artistry and love of music shows up. Like Curtis, you always, I mean, they, I, I'm going to try and relay this in an appropriate way. Mm-hmm. The band always rehearsed and got together mm-hmm. and had the 25, 30 songs, whatever it was like lined up and Insane. worked out. But yeah. because of your friendships with people, oftentimes myself included, it was like, okay, learn this song. Don't worry. We'll do it similar to the record. Just show up and sing. Because that was, you know, the time frame allotted with all the different guests that came in. And and some of our guests, you know, were film and TV movie star people. And they would just be like, I can come in for that hour, but that's what I can give you. And there was so much authenticity of energy on that stage because you would just show up and be like, let's all say a prayer that this goes the way it should. And it was always better. It was always better than... Then no, what and any of like us even when it didn't fully work out, it was always amazing. And yeah. and and there's just a lot of there was a lot of trust, you yeah. know. Everyone, you know, but you had to trust us big time because you were coming from Arizona, so you missed ninety percent of the rehearsals, you know. But 90, you ninety eight percent of the rehearsals, I think, yeah, only made and, one. And one or two times, like we had a couple moments and some songs or a teeter, but we always got it figured out. And, and the and, audience always loved it. They were always like, "Listen, this is real life. Like people are getting together a, and sharing the joy." That, well, that gig was a, is a reminder. Gigs like that are a reminder that no matter how hard we all hustle, it's music's supposed to be fun. And for a bunch of artists that are professional musicians, it is very easy to forget that. But you're doing that show, and besides getting to play in front of people, you're not really there to promote anything. You're there to just have fun. Oh but you know, the show wasn't meant to be. It was. It was wasn't and never meant to be live band karaoke. You're supposed to get up there and perform. Yeah. But it just happens to be you're playing. A, you know. A hit, the, a hit, a know. hit from a long time ago. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, so I mean that that that's that is kind of I've just kind of followed that trajectory at this point. Yeah, and I don't see it's I don't and see it stopping. It. If, <laughs> I mean, and if one of these things does pop off, or they all kind of exist in some place, then great. Like the fact that I have artists like that, like my solo stuff. I'll, once in a while, I'll probably I'll still put stuff out because. I love that. And I, and I have people that still care about it, but I am more excited now at the fact that I have these rebirths with these new bands that I can kind of, and, and things happened this year during a pandemic that never happened in my career. I, I had a song on a radio. I, I had, I had a song played a bunch of times on the radio as an artist. And I'd never had a song played on the radio right. as an artist, right. you know, besides like a one local thing here, one local thing there. Right. I, and I, you know, so I, I had, had had it one time as a writer with Pierce Vale, but I'd never had it as an artist. All of a sudden that happened. I, you know, uh, you know, I launched two bands. I got placements that I had never gotten and it's all happening in my late thirties. And I know it's, you know, yes, you could say it's like never giving up or, or having good relationships, but it's really just never thinking that you've run out of ways to do something and, and that there's always another layer of evolution to what you're doing like i'm still probably going to evolve into something else down the line it's just just the nature of 
of survival and yeah. especially and life, in industry. And the nature of life in general. I mean, yeah. I think even yeah. when you talk to people not in our industry, you're going to run into similar through lines. You know, I mean, that's mm-hmm. the one thing I think that COVID has been really brilliant at. I, I talk often about the silver linings of COVID. And I think this time mm-hmm. of self-reflection, reinvention, and mm-hmm. and just taking a moment to pause, but simultaneously dig in your heels and just keep working. I think people are are yep. really seeing the guts that we have because we've gotten so mm-hmm. fast moving for so long. I think people have forgotten to take a, you know, catalog or a, what is it? It would take a, a notice of accounting of all the skills that we do have that we don't even realize we're putting into practice yeah. until you're forced to sit at home and look at yourself in the mirror and go, okay, I am capable of this <laughs> and this and this and this and this. Like I am not going to sit here idle right. and not be working yeah. even though everything around me tells me I shouldn't, you know, or don't need yeah. to. Yeah. But it's also like, that's kind of the, one of the wins of the fact that you know, people like us have had to battle for our careers is because this time is just another obstacle to keep going that we're used to getting obstacles in our, you know, right. I'm used to something always being in the way of what I'm trying to get to. And so I got to kind of creatively get around it. And this is no different. This is, this, this is just a, a very world connected version of it. Totally. But, and, and, you know, but I, there was never a question once we decided, yes, we're still going to put these out during this time you know, this summer of love kids in America single, especially because it was such a happy song. I know also, it was such a, like sing, when I know. first heard it, cause I had the honor of singing some of the BG Vox on it. Yes, you did. Um, when I first heard it, I think I remember being like, this is a fucking hit. I was so excited. Yeah. Um, and then you were like, of course oh. we're releasing summer of love in the summer of pandemic. Like, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. but it's still, but found it just its wings. Still, it's just a remind. It's just, a, yeah. And, and, and honestly, who knows, you know, who knows if it would have done better or worse in a normal time, it probably would have done better in a lot of ways. But at the same time, we were forging ahead in, in a time when a lot of people like got out of the way and paused their careers, yeah. you know, especially the first three or four months of it. And we, we just were like, listen, we don't want to feel terrible all the time. Somebody's going to want to hear a happy song. So let's just keep, let's roll forward and see what oh. happens. And, it, and, 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 and the song was so summer based anyway, we kind of had to live and die by that. So, yeah. uh, and I'm really happy that we did because now, you know, it's like we were able to, we were able to launch this band, you know, and now, you know, we're able to move forward and hopefully uh, at least within a year, a safer world. And, and I like at some point I, when Paul and I, who's my bandmate and kids in America, when Paul and I are on stage together somewhere, in the hopefully not too far future, it's going to be incredibly satisfying because we'll know what we had to, how patient we had to be and what we had to do to build this thing up. And I think that that's why when you're launching like a venue and a production company and putting out music and figuring out how to play shows and filming, it's because that's how you you already were. And you take, you've taken this moment and ran with it, you know, and it just, being grateful for your wins is just is great, but being grateful for you where you lost and had to make new decisions is almost more important sometimes. Could you know? not agree with you more. And that is a perfect yeah. segue into my like routine questions. If you're up for it, my, my actor okay. studio version, you know, ready. um, I'm ready. Knowing what you having the career you have had to this point, cause there's still mm-hmm. so much ahead and looking mm-hmm. back on all of the, as we said, shifts and pivots or mm-hmm. shivits and pivots and whatever I said. Shivit. I like shivits. Yeah, shivits yeah. is better. Yeah. 
what would you tell your <laughs> younger self? Um, I would tell myself. Um, your younger self. Tell your, your, my, I would your tell, 13, I would tell 14, younger, 15, 18. Uh, I would tell him, I would tell him, be patient because holy shit, this is going to take forever. <laughs> and, and I would also tell him, you don't even know the people you, that you look up to that are, you're going to get to work with and you're going to get to meet and, 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 and don't worry so much about the way it's going to happen. Just go. You know, I love it. I think so yeah. often we get, it's not that details aren't important. But sometimes we get overly obsessive in the details of how and when and mm -hmm. in what fashion instead of, like you said, instead of just going, follow, follow the train, you know, make, be on the yep. train, follow the train and yeah. ask the questions later. Just enjoy the ride. Yep. Um, what do you tell yourself now? Ah, that's good. <laughs> um, uh, I tell my, I, I try to tell myself to, to relax and, 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 and be okay with whatever version of, of my career is going to happen at this point and, 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 and worry more about my life and worry more about, and, and, and not to say like, I only will know if I, you know, like if I didn't get to be creative, that would be a very hard change for me. But at this point, I realize how much I love my life. I love my friends. I love my fiance. There's a whole entity. Where, where I live. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and so I just try to remember whatever I can do to keep it. I love teaching spin. Like, yeah. you know, it's like, like whatever I can do to keep my little weird world going is good enough for me. So like, I just try to tell myself to relax and, 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 and I look at everything and I'm like, you're doing all right. Just, you want these things to keep going, just do, do the best you can. And if you have to shift or get another job to keep those going, cool. Like, just yeah. don't, 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 don't think you can't have all of this work. It, I love that. It's true. I, I think when, as you were talking my mind, I, I saw life as more of like a pie chart, you know, instead yeah. of, instead of the individual, like I'm high in career over here and I'm low in blow. Like uh, when you right. kind of focus, when you, when you retract that lens and look from a broader, higher view, I think sometimes it gives you a better sense of life as an overall. And it's such an important thing that I think we all lose sight of is that the balance of the whole is just as important as the success in one section yeah. you know um we're we're designed yeah. as yeah. animals because where to, you're gonna win yeah i was we're designed yeah. as animals to do the whole thing right. yeah no right. yeah right because we're all gonna win somewhere we're always gonna lose somewhere like right. your friend that has two beautiful kids you know might not have the career they ever wanted and you have the career you always wanted but you haven't had kids or you or you're not married or like you're or, or like you've made a ton of money but it's in something you don't really like you know right. or you made a ton of money in something you love but it actually made you really unhappy. Like there's it's just truly like totally. everyone like, you know, it's like, it's, it's like being, it's unfair to like say, tell a successful person they're not allowed to complain, but they also, if they're complaining too much, it means they clearly don't realize what they've had. And, 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 and sometimes the happiest people I know aren't that successful. They just right. have a good round out life. God bless you. You made the perfect relay into our next question, which is <laughs> the, the word and, and the quotes of the word success. What has mm -hmm. that 
definition been to you? What ha- how has it changed? How has the word success evolved mm-hmm. in your mind? What does it mean to you to be successful? Successful is 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 getting to do the things you love. You know that that's what it is. It does. It, it's not it's not getting to do them at this level or getting to do them with this much money or getting to do them with this people. It's getting to do the thing you love and realizing that everything else within that success is going to come and go. You know, one year you're going to have one, you know, one year I'll have a a song really do really well. And the next year I won't, you know, or then the next year I'll have a ton of songs do really well. And then two years for two years, I won't, you know? Uh, And then like, you know, uh, one year I'll, ha- I'll make a good amount of money and I won't stress about that. And then the next year it's like, Oh man, okay, this is, a, you know, it's like, and, uh, yeah, it, you know, it's, you know, I got divorced and then I was lucky enough to meet someone amazing and now I'm getting married again. Like, like it's always going to shift. It's always going to think. So the success is just getting to do what you love any way you can and knowing that that is okay. I could and, not agree with you more. Yeah. It's very important. It's very easy to poison that feeling based on what you don't have. And it's like, it's, it's just, it's, and it's very hard to keep that perspective, but you have to keep reminding yourself of that. I love hearing that. I think that's such a valuable sentiment. What Mm -hmm. can we expect from you? What's coming up? What are the hopes and dreams of Curtis Peoples now? What's, what are you working on? What should we know about? What do you see in the future? What do you want to see in the future? Mm -hmm. Um, I'm very excited about the the bands I, I'm getting to do. I'm very I'm I'm so excited to put out more kids in American music and eventually play shows and build that brand and continue to collaborate because that whole project is is that whole band is based off collaboration. We always have guest singers and everything like that. I'd love to just see and with the Pep Squad one, which I would love to see it continue to get placements and and find. A play, like an audience through TV and trailers and, and get to write these crazy cool rock songs. They're so friends. fun. They're I, so fun. I, yeah. <laughs> I really want you and I to be able to do gigs and play these eighties and nineties things. I know that's to, also that, so fun. You know, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's like, I just like those. So if I go into 2021, I, I hope that by the end of 2021, we've done a, at least a gig or two again. I hope that kids in America has an even bigger success in, uh, on the radio. And, and I hope, I hope the Pierce Savelle record has all the songs that I wrote with Vic that I love on it. You yeah. Know? Uh, and, but I'm excited for that because that is, you know, Vic is, you know, my best friend and, and he's worked so hard in this record and I'm, but I feel very fortunate to be so involved with it. So I'm excited for that. I'm excited to reschedule my wedding. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, like, you know, I'm excited to be a out. guest at your wedding. Hint, hint, exactly. nudge, nudge. <laughs> Probably make you sing at it. <laughs> it's okay. If um, it means I can show up, I'll sing whatever you want. Yeah. Um, I, that, I'm just excited. Everything that's built in the last two years of my career and in my life is, 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 is what I'm, I'm very happy with it. So I'm trying to make sure I water all those plants and yeah. keep that going. You know, where should my listeners look you up, find you? What are the links? What are the socials? What are the things for them to stock you? Because I encourage uh, that. Yes. Well, <laughs> if you go to curtispeoples.com, curtispeoples.com is like the hub for everything. But if you look up my band Kids in America or Pep Squad or Riverside or, you know, you, if you, but if you go to my website, all there, you can, you can start there and branch out and see everything that I work on and the bands that I write with and all that. Um, on my Spotify, my Curtis People's Artist page, there's a thing called my best of. 
if you want to check out who I am musically, that is the best place to start because that'll give you songs by other artists, my own original music as a solo artist and with my bands. That'll that's that'll give you kind of like a full show of what I do. I love it. So, and hopefully we'll yeah. do a few more projects together. Save My Soul's doing well. So mm-hmm. it's gaining mm-hmm. traction on and Spotify. And I think it's going to get a big placement. I think, I think you know, it's like the Spotify is starting off and doing well is so awesome. And then I think it's going to, I think once one thing hits, you've already, now the song's already on a trajectory. Like I, I'm excited about that it's stuff, but I'm excited because that's the thing is like, I that's the kind of things I want to keep doing. It's just kind of find as many ways to make this thing work and also you are dying to come visit me i am jenna (laughs) desperately wants to ride gorgeous fiance yes okay well i just had to put that on record because then i can replay it for you in the future the longer you take to get out here well thanks for having me on (laughs) i'm so glad you came on you're one of my favorite people in this world so it makes me very happy i'm honored to be in your life and i'm i'm happy i um get to watch you continue to kick ass like we all do right it's the only yep. option. That's what I say. That's the only option. Exactly. Just keep kicking ass so that nobody can help exactly. it if you're kicking ass. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> All right, you. Yeah. Well, I won't keep you any longer. I adore you immensely. Keep rocking. All right. All right. And uh, I'll call you after this because I have more to talk to you about. <laughs> Sounds good. All right. Love Later. you. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Bye. All right, y'all. Today's episode is brought to you by Grey Dog Guitars, located at 141 North Cortez Street in historic downtown Prescott, Arizona. Grey Dog Guitars is an authorized tailor, Gretsch, Guild, and Reverend dealer with a friendly, knowledgeable staff and a welcoming environment. Whatever you are looking for, whether to buy, sell, or trade, Grey Dog Guitars has you covered. So stop by today and check out their great selection of new, used, and vintage gear and check them out at www.graydogguitars.com. Thank you for listening to The Creative Convergence, coming to you from Raven Sound Studio in historic downtown Prescott, Arizona. Are you a professional in the arts and would like to share your story with us or a company that would like to advertise with us? Shoot us an email at contact at ravenproductionsmedia.com. Help support the arts by becoming a Raven Productions member. Get your perk card and be the first to know about all of our upcoming promotions, events, and online programming. Your membership will directly support the arts programs in our schools. Sign up today at ravenproductionsmedia.com. Until next time, be safe and enjoy the journey.